If you want to make an audiobook, go to thetalkingbook.org. That's thetalkingbook.org. Check out these amazing writers, narrators, indie publishers. Come to Asheville. We record books in a booth. Here's the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one and only Talking Book Podcast. My name is Chris Hartram. This is a place where you can come to listen to me tell you insignificant things about my life and The Talking Book, which is an audiobook studio. We make audiobooks, we record books in a booth for authors and publishers and uh, other audiobook companies. Um, and you can hear readings from the best new books and the coolest authors on the planet. It's a show. It's a very short and sweet podcast show. It's readings of books. Do you like books? If you don't, then what are you doing here? What the hell are you doing? Today I have Michael J. Seidlinger on the show, the great Michael J. Seidlinger. He's been on before. He is a Filipino-American author of a book called Anybody Home, the book you'll be hearing today. But first, what's new with me in the talking book? My wife, my two children, my Dave. Uh, we've had a lot of authors in the studio recently. Um, it's Halloween. Halloween time. It's approaching. Uh, I've been watching a lot of horror movies. I carved the uh, Hartram family jack-o'-lantern last night. Kind of a Jack Skellington looking thing. What have we been watching? Uh, Near Dark. Uh, the Velvet Vampire. Um, Danny, my wife, uh, my lovely wife, she just had her birthday and we went to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Have you ever been there? First time. It was amazing. Um, we uh, we went to Ruth's Chris, and I was thinking to myself, Ruth's Chris, what an odd name, Ruth's Chris. And then we realized we asked the waitress. She didn't really know. She asked another waitress. Um, Ruth was a woman who bought Chris's steakhouse, and she uh, instead of just calling it Ruth's, she called it Ruth's Chris. It's hard to say it, but I guess that's what makes it memorable because it's so weird. Um, anyway, after Ruth's Chris, we went to see uh, Halloween, the movie, in the theater, and I had never seen it on the big screen, and that was amazing. Um, so I want to see more, uh, more, more old horror movies I, I, uh, I have never seen on the big screen. Um, on the big screen. If you have a horror film you want me to see on the big screen, please write me. KRIS at thetalkingbook.org. You can call me. Call and leave a voicemail. Maybe I'll even pick it up. You can text me, 828-713-4612. Anyway, Ruth's Chris, horror movies. It is Halloween, so this is a good book to have on the show. Like I said today, we've got Michael J. Seidlinger. His new book, Anybody Home, came out from the badasses at Clash Books uh, this year. Um, it's a good time for you to read him if you never have, especially because it is Halloween. Anybody Home is about a seasoned invader home invader with multiple home invasions under their belt, uh, recounting their dark victories while offering tutelage to a new generation of ambitious home invaders eager to make their mark. From initial canvassing to home entry, the reader is complicit in every single strangling and shattered window. The fear is inescapable. That sounds fucking cool, right? Um, yeah. Well, here now is Michael Seidlinger, Reading from his new book, Anybody Home? We started early, shortly before dawn. 
The camera was there even when we weren't. It started on the outer banks and panned up and outward. We were dressed in white and made sure to keep everything clean. That's code for gloves. We started out on the outskirts of a big lake. The name of the lake, like everything else, we leave unnamed. The authorities do the filling in later. Give them too much and it's just another robbery or break-in and you don't want that. Camera shot wide across a paved road. I can still picture SUVs and Escalades, newly washed sedans and sports utility vans driving the speed limit, hulking with them bikes, boats, and other luxury items. We spotted the house on the far eastern bank, expecting it to be the one to begin what would end up lengthening out across six houses before the end of the week. Camera narrow in on that driveway, the front gate opening and closing on its own. We walked around the back of the house. It was impressive. Really, it was. There was privilege in this community. That's something we learned in the months of planning before the final pull-off. We learned that for all the tall gates and security systems, the guards and barking dogs at night, it's that level of silence that defines what rural can be. The silence is insecurity. And just because those shrubs grow high and the vines cover your windows doesn't mean in the depths of the silence there isn't someone watching. We watched. We stepped inside these homes. We took our time learning their routines. We weren't going for just another performance, you see. We wanted to create a series of performances. This meant that we had to plan everything, every single invasion, as its own step. We spent at least eight months just on the setup, the planning. When it finally happened and he was in place, waiting for the first family to arrive, me in the backyard awaiting the first queue, it was serenity. You see, we almost saw the work, all that planning play itself out like a perfect take. It felt like, like a perfect fit. And then the family showed up. There was a daughter, about 11 years of age, and the parents. They drove up the driveway, took their time getting situated, airing out the house, the wife wandering around out front, checking to see that the landscaper had successfully kept the flowers and other vegetation in shape. That freshly cut lawn wasn't the husband's doing. We watched a crew arrive and tend to the house's upkeep. Two, actually. One of the employees wasn't as careful as the others. It's how we were able to get inside the house. It's easier than you think. It almost never has to come to the actual break-in or invasive lock picking. I never learned how to pick a lock. Few do. It's easier to figure out the source of the lock door than the lock itself. And by the time the daughter was indoors with the husband, who worked on fixing the power via the switch box in the basement, the power we extricated an hour before their arrival, he knocked on the door. He knocked on the door gently. He said what he was supposed to say. Uh, hey, hello, I'm, I'm from the house down the road. Uh, we were wondering if you have any power. Ours seems to have gone out. From there it was the wife calling to the husband, who then seemed relieved that it wasn't just their house that suffered from the power outage. By then he was already inside, and so was I. But I waited until he dropped a picture frame, the glass shattering, distracting the wife, who went into the room I just left, the kitchen, for a dustbin. The husband tended to the broken frame. He did a great job playing the pity case, apologizing profusely. Then I was there, and they both wondered how I got in. Oh, uh, we're friends, brothers, actually. See how I switched it up, making it unbelievable? What better way to let them know that something's wrong than by acting strange? They had already welcomed my partner performance in. It was up to me to tend to the rest. I asked if they had a pet, maybe a dog. 
I asked about their daughter. By then, the daughter had been neutralized, tied up and taped upstairs in her bedroom. The wife called for the daughter. The husband ran to fetch her. The wife didn't take much to subdue. She didn't even scream. She was all shivers, which I couldn't stand. So I got him to hold on to her while I followed the husband upstairs. Right around the time, both the husband and the camera panned across a frightened daughter. A daughter that pissed herself while alone in her room. The basics of the invasion had already begun. A quick strike to the back of the husband's head with a blunt object. In this case, it was one end of the daughter's skateboard, and we could get to work. We tied them to their individual beds. We thought about what we should do. I remember looking around for a better angle, thinking about whether the volume of invaded homes would really be enough. The husband regained consciousness, and we got to talking. He proved to be an easy one to break apart. Talk about his life, career, hobbies, various flings he had on the side, and he began to sob. My partner in performance mentioned that his wife is attractive. I joked about guessing her age. I joked about whether she was in shape. I wasn't joking when I asked the husband, and then he wouldn't tell me. We had to figure out a different way. It turned into a game. I brought in the daughter, untied her so that she could run, but the daughter forgot about the rope around her ankles. Ah, uh, poor thing, now that didn't need to happen, did it? Plastic bag over and around, the daughter's head got them playing. All throughout, we both looked to the situation, looked for something we could use. We needed to improvise because we were ahead of schedule. Then I said the one thing that defined everything else. Let's play a game. With great effort, they played out various games in order to be untied, led back out in front of the house, and led to believe they'd have to eat grass if only to see that they aren't above being demeaned. The daughter didn't make it, though. I think we didn't let enough air in the bag. She suffocated on the fifth or sixth tightening of the bag around her neck. It was all part of the game. Guess right, and the daughter doesn't get hurt. This one moment became one of the more memorable characteristics of our performance, and it didn't end there either. The games continued. From the front yard, we saw the second family, as prototypical as the first, waving to each other, talking about dinner plans and yachts. Shortly after finishing with the husband and wife, we followed the camera over to the next house, the next family. He asked about the power being out. I wandered around back and waved to the husband with his young son, who had been approximately nine years old, where they were cleaning, maintaining their yacht. I complimented them on the yacht's condition. I told them I was a neighbor, using the same excuse. Power outage. We played games mirroring the first family's set. We made this one last a little bit longer before moving on. The wife being the last to go, sinking to the bottom of the lake like dead weight. We increased the games with each family until we had the sixth in turmoil, two teenage sons competing for their own lives while we watched. The games were simple. They started out like any little playground game, but quickly mounted to be far more sinister for the camera. You tend to forget the camera. You see that it gets more on record than you ever could. But the fact that it's there seems to satiate the cults. It seems to get as much of the picture as possible. Like, uh, we didn't see how the sons of the sixth family ended their parents' lives in order to conceivably save theirs. We didn't need to see that. We left during the final couple strikes of golf clubs on the cracked skull and shattered jaw of husband and wife, respectively. By the time the authorities played their part, one son ran while the other chased after. It became one of their own deadly pursuits, a game based around the guilt that they wouldn't be able to lose. The camera captured it long before the one tackled the other to the ground near a dock and drove his thumbs into both eye sockets. With an injury like that, you don't just lose sight, you lose your life. We weren't there, though. Camera captured what needed to be captured. Later, it became just another piece of evidence, 
the footage for all to see. I'll tell you though, in those last couple moments when our performance became more than the sum of each individual part, I could see it all, everything, for what it really is. I could see the various roles and various emotions. I could see the authorities getting the call, marking on each house for its burial. I could see the effect of the events on the private community, causing a drop in property values and a rise in paranoia. I could see popular culture wrapping its mind around the performance. I could see borderline success long before he got an offer. I could see the annals of privacy and personal space shifting and contorting to welcome in a world realer than real. I could see the cults and their members clamoring over the uncensored footage. I could see them going through like armchair investigators long before the edited, commercialized version ever makes it onto the screen. I could see the trail of evidence slowly reaching us. I could see my own concern, worry mounting, if only because it would be more dramatic for it to end with our identities being revealed. Yet like any other successful performance, we were deemed invaders. I was invader one, and my partner performance was invader two. Without names established, they couldn't trace back our identities. Without fingerprints or true faces on footage, our likenesses little more than blurred pixels, the authorities couldn't get any closer than recovering the evidence Any initial plan for invasion. It was an invasion, and it invaded the collective senses. I could see success in all its conceptual glory. And it's beautiful. You know it is. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening. It's truly magical when you think that the only people that could ever identify us are the victims that end up losing their lives and thereby immortalizing our efforts. It's a certain kind of celebrity. One lived from behind a number of screens, equally factual and false. We take it because it's celebrity. We take it because of the performance. We take it because it entertains the millions that watch. We take it because it's ours to take. We decided to take it. Now I'm going to ask you. What are you going to decide? That was Michael J. Seidlinger reading from his new book, Anybody Home? Out now from Clash Books. I'm going to leave links in the show notes. You got to get this book. Uh, If you don't get the book, I'm going to break into your house. I'm just kidding. But if you want to learn more about us or read on the Talking Book Podcast, you can go to thetalkingbook.org. You can email me at chris at talkingbook.pub about your audiobook, about your book, or just let me know another movie you want me to see for Halloween times. On the small screen, on the big screen, go to Letterboxd. You can find me on Letterboxd. I'm reviewing movies over there. They're not good. The movies are good. The reviews are not. But come to Asheville. You can come to Asheville and hang out. We'll go to Liberty House. We'll eat buckwheat pancakes. We'll go to Sawhorse. We'll eat buttermilk pancakes. Lots of pancakes will be eaten. Thanks again to Michael J. Seidlinger for the reading. Thanks to Dave Burr for editing this show. Go get this book. I love you all. See you next time. Anybody home? Mm-hmm.